hopefully um, with Revelation 14 tonight, it, it, things will be more clear. But I also want to say that I've been remiss, and I kind of intimated this in the text. You know, sometimes I get caught up in studying, studying, studying the Scripture, the text, for meaning that I, um, I kind of neglect the application. So what that means is I tend to come away with, wow, I have a lot, a lot of knowledge about the book of Revelation. Wow, that's amazing. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Looks like this is going to happen. This could happen there. It could happen. And you have all this knowledge, but then it's like, well, wait a minute. How does all that apply to me? God put it in here for a purpose, and the purpose wasn't simply to be a quote-unquote look into the future. What does it mean to me now? And so I kind of have been remiss in, I think, not talking about and emphasizing how all of what we're studying applies to us now. And I'm not talking about events or anything like that. I'm talking about principles in Scripture that apply to us and are supposed to make, I guess, make our make more of an impact on us so that we can make more of an impact on the world, if that makes sense. Okay. So I, I want to make sure I do that tonight. So... The first part of this lesson is us kind of breaking it down, looking at some possible meanings of what's going on in chapter 14, and then we're going to close with application. How does it apply to me right now? Does it apply to me right now? What can I take home with this? How can this make my life more spiritually minded where God is concerned? So. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in and see if we have any answers for some of this stuff. Lord, thanks so much for your word. It speaks to us. It is alive. It is from you. You're the author. You gave us this book, not for us just to become so heady about all the information, and I'm guilty of that, but to understand, yes, the meaning, where it can be understood, and then the application always. So help us as we go through chapter 14 as far as we can get tonight to understand that there's certainly meaning tied to this text. Meaning which may or may not apply to us right now at this moment in time, but there's always application that always applies to us right now. Even if these events foretold in your word are not happening. So please be with me, help me to speak clearly and uh, get my thoughts Actually, your thoughts, hopefully, clearly laid out so that we understand this better. Thanks for this time. Thanks for these people. May we experience your presence and fellowship tonight. In Christ's name, amen. All right, chapter 14. Real simple here. It's broken up into 20 verses. We're, we're not going to get all the way through. But it's broken. the chapter's broken into the Lamb and 144,000 in the first five verses. Then... From 6 to 13, it talks about the three angelic messages. And I think it's fascinating, folks, without getting too excited about this stuff, that angels in the book of Revelation are given the jobs they're given. And John isn't just seeing or hearing these angels and thinking, wow, I'm, I'm really seeing something special here. I'm seeing what's happening in the heavens. What he is seeing is what people on the earth, I believe, are going to be hearing and seeing. And it is absolutely fascinating to me that in the book of Revelation, these angels are really doing things that the whole world will notice. And here, that's what's absolutely astounding. There are other books in the Bible. Um, you know, if the Lord wills and, and Mark says, okay, I'd like to do Daniel next if we can. But, you know, there are plenty of examples in Daniel where the angels were there, but they just spoke with Daniel. Or they just spoke with this other person. And that was it. But in Revelation, oh no, no. This, these are worldwide events. And these angels are participating. And at one point, they're actually preaching the gospel to the entire world. In the air. Right? It's just absolutely fascinating to me. So God actually gives these angels great, um, important jobs to do during the book of Revelation, during the last seven years of human history. So, we'll talk about those tonight, and that's probably as far as we'll get, and then we'll talk about the harvest of the earth, which also includes, by the way, the, um, 
the reaping of the grapes of wrath, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So it's we're we're gonna get probably up to possibly the middle of the chapter someplace. But let's let's get into it because it's fascinating as I was going through this. Now the purpose of Revelation 14 may not seem obvious, or it may seem obvious. I hope you can see if you sit there. I I'm sure can. You sure? Okay. Um, so Revelation 14 acts as a I guess a bridge. You know, Sylvia, I should probably go over there next week. Okay. Right there, yeah. Yeah. That'd be a whole lot better. That wouldn't be in anybody's way. Yeah, no, I can see. You I'm sure? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to have to crane your neck. I like your sitting close to Good, yeah. good man. <laughs> All right, so Revelation 14 literally acts as a bridge between, or it's a link or a bridge between a couple of sets of chapters. First, on the other side, the left side, if you were putting this on a timeline, you'd see mid-tribulational events that are described no. in Revelation. Exactly. Okay. okay, Revelation 10 to 13. And for those of you listening at home, yes, our dog has to go potty. So it, it acts as a link between 10, 11, 12, and 13, which are mid-tribulational events. The things that are going to happen in the beginning or the middle of the tribulation. And as I've discussed before, it's really difficult, and of course commentators are all over the place on this, but even as I read through this and as you read, it is difficult to say, well, this is going to happen here, then this is going to happen here. Then Some of it is chronological in Revelation, some of it isn't. It is so hard. I've given up trying to pinpoint everything. Some other people may feel really, really comfortable doing that. I don't anymore. I just feel like, you know what? We have a basic understanding, and that's all it is, is a very basic understanding of what God has revealed to us. And the fact that he's revealed anything to us is absolutely phenomenal. But to be immovable about certain aspects of those seven years and what comes, what's in front of us, I just think that that can create issues and, and who knows, we may be wrong. I, I don't think I'm wrong. You don't think you're wrong. Other people don't think they're wrong. But the reality is, this is a mid-tribulational event section, Revelation 10 through 13, and even within those chapters, it's really difficult, I think, to be really dogmatic about where each event falls. But Revelation 14 is between those, and it's between the events of the second half, so it kind of comes right in the middle of uh, chapters 15 and 16. So most of Revelation 11 through 13 dealt with the activities of the counterfeit tr uh, trinity. And I mentioned that. Who's the counterfeit tr trinity? Antichrist. Antichrist, who portrays the... The beast, the Satan. Well, right, he's the one who's backing him, but who's he trying to imitate, I should have said. Oh, oh, um, Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. So we got the Antichrist trying to imitate the Son of God. Then we've got the false prophet, who is plainly a an imitation of... Holy the Holy Spirit, because he directs attention, he directs everybody there. This is the guy, this is the Savior of the world. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He directs our attention and our gaze to God and the Son. And of course, the Father is uh, is imitated yeah, by Satan, who the Father will never be seen by us. My understanding, my study of Scripture, we will never see the Father in heaven. We will see the glory of God which represents the Father. We may hear His voice, he will say, but we won't see Him. We will see Jesus. Satan is unseen. We don't see Him. If He wanted to, He could appear, but we don't see Him. So He's, he's imitating the Father. So we saw this counterfeit trinity in chapters 11 through 13. We saw all the destruction that they were trying to cause, all what they were trying to do. Their attempts to usurp God and destroy those who persist in worshiping God. The tribulation is going to be basically a terrible time. It's just simply going to... I mean, Jesus said it in Matthew 24. This will basically be the worst time this world has ever seen or will ever see. And if, and if not were those days shortened, and I believe there he means that if I did not have a specific end date for that when I return, then no life would be left on earth. Some people take that to mean that those days are literally shortened, so it's not quite going to be a seven-year period. I view that as not consistent with Scripture, but that's okay. The point is, 
when he returns, that's when it ends. Whatever, whether it's shortened physically or what or not, that's when it ends. So when he comes back, can you imagine this? When he comes back, this world is going to be gathering its armies in preparation for it. The stupidity and hubris of this is absolutely astounding to me. Antichrist is going to lead all the world's military troops and people in an effort to keep Jesus from returning. I mean, we look at that and we go, what a moron. Yeah, he's so smart, he's stupid. He does, I mean, he, that's what hubris is. You don't see the obvious. That's what's going on. I don't mean to get off on this, but that's what's going on at Davos with um, Mr. Klaus Schwab, Nazi, you know, and, and his buddies. They're so smart, they're stupid. They do not see, they, do, they can't comprehend that all their plans will not turn out the way they envision. They cannot see it. They can't. You and I can see it. We, we don't have a hard time going, that's not going to work. What are you, stupid? That's not going to work. And I was telling Sylvia, I said, what I don't understand is these ultra, ultra wealthy and powerful people can't just be content with their wealth and power. Yeah, they have to go to the next step and go, uh, now what do we do? I know. We will rule the world. <laughs> yes. We will kill people and rule the world. And then they want a feudalism that existed in the 1400s and 1500s, and we're going to be their serfs, the yeah. ones they let live. Yeah. This is so stupid. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. I read such a great article yesterday that was published at Zero Hedge about a guy from the Brownstone Institute who authored it and basically listed why their plans are not going to work. But he also said that in the process, they're going to destroy so much of the world mm -hmm. that won't recover. Mm -hmm. and, and they're so dumb, they don't even know it. Anyway, but they're blinded, obviously, right? right? Now, right they're now. blinded by the king of lies, right? And they're being totally deceived, and they don't get it. They think they're so wise. So oh, anyway. Jared Kushner did an interview, and I forget who it's with. Okay. Uh, basically, saying that he was going to start working out more because oh. he understood, he believed that his would be the last generation that would die, that they would come up with some way for them to live forever. I see. Well, that's what the, the globalists are trying to... And, and that's why I think Schwab especially is pushing this. They wanted to do 2030. Now they're trying to push it to 2020. The guy's 85 years old. Mm -hmm. Soros is what, 316? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. he's... Mm -hmm. Come on! Yeah, it's like, these guys aren't going to live, and I think they know it. So they need to get that transhumanism going. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so that they don't die. So during the tribulation, there are going to be major and massive attempts to usurp God. And the final attempt will come in, what, Revelation 17, I think, the Mark of the Beast? I think that's that chapter. But that will be the final attempt to usurp God. And that will be the line in the sand for everybody on earth at that point. So these attempts will ramp up, ramp up, ramp up. And then destroy at the same time those who persist in worshiping God. So if, if we're alive... If the tribulation is right around the corner instead of 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road, and we're alive during that time, then, <laughs> then we'll have... What's the matter, Scooby? Is it me? No. Okay. No, no, no. I think you hear something outside. Every once in a while, these they'll just perk up and then run outside. Okay. They're hearing the dog next door. So anyway... During the tribulation, it's going to be difficult because they're going to have two things going against believers. There's going to be all these leaders who are trying to usurp God, and then on the on the other hand, they're going to be those same leaders who will be attacking to death those who persist in worshiping God. Mm -hmm. So we've got that going on. It's not here yet, but hey, it's coming. So the purpose of Revelation 14, it basically provides, I love this, this is God speaking through three angels. He provides seven proclamations. Seven proclamations. These go out to the world. Now, can you imagine, let's just say for argument's sake that the tribulation happens either before the tribulation, or let's say it happens during the middle. Okay. You've got millions of people that are gone. Like that. And the world saw that. 
And they're like, what now? And so the leaders step up, they get things going, etc., etc. Well, God isn't done. That was just a, notice this, this is God at work, blah, blah, blah. Provide seven proclamations from God to the world. And we'll get into those briefly. At least a couple tonight. To predict the failure of the program of the counterfeit trinity. God is in this 100%. He doesn't just sit off to the side and go, well, when you're done, Satan, let me know. No. He is like head for head. Matter of fact, he is steps ahead of Satan, and Satan can't keep up. The problem is, most of the people in the world will be so deceived and so open to deception that they won't even hear what's happening, most of them. And these angels also announce results of the approaching last seven judgments, which are the bowl judgments. And again, we have no idea how quickly they happen. We just don't know. We know an order, but we don't know much more than that. And then it's also to give assurance, encouragement, and comfort to the saints living in the second half of the tribulation, because that's when things really start to go haywire. Paul talks about 2 Thessalonians 2, where the man of sin, the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, goes into the Holy of Holies, sits down, and says, I am God. And the world goes, yes, you are. And then it's not long after that, that we don't know the time, but then eventually the mark of the beast is introduced and people have to make a decision. Choose Antichrist or resist and choose God. Those are the only two choices that they'll get, and it will be so clear as day. And people who, by the way, take the mark will take the mark because they want to take the mark. So the second half is going to be very, very difficult. So let's get right into this if we can. First five verses. Then I looked, and of course the eye is speaking about who? John. John. So John looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. That's a cool phrase. That is an awesome, awesome phrase. And with him, 144,000. We've heard that number before, I think in Revelation 7. Hmm. Could be the same number. Interesting. And he's describing the same that? Where did you hear that at? Hear what? The 144,000. Revelation 7. Remember when he sealed them? Yeah. And having his father's, his refers back to the lamb, his father's name written on their foreheads. So unlike the people of earth who had the Antichrist mark embedded here, tattooed there, or on their right hand, these 144,000 had the lamb's father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters. I can't imagine it, but from what I was reading about Mount Sinai today, the thunder, the rumbling, the voice that sounded like many, many waters. I'm sure it shocked the people then so much so that they said to Moses, you know what, you know what, you talk to God. We don't want to hear him talk. You tell us what he said. We don't want to hear. We cannot handle this. So John is hearing the same kind of thing. But of course, he's a believer, so he's in a different situation than the Israelites were in the Old Testament. And then he goes, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one, no one could learn that song except the 144,000. I think that that's fascinating. Who were redeemed from the earth, which tells you what? They've been killed. They just either died naturally, probably not, or they were martyred. They, God protected them while they did their service to him on earth. They were untouchable. And then when God said, your job is finished, then they were probably martyred. So they were redeemed from the earth, and they have a song that they sing in praise and honor of God the Father and Jesus Christ that only they know. These are the ones who were not defiled with women. They were virgins. And by the way, I'm going to explain that real quickly. John is not meaning here that marriage is wrong and sex inside marriage is wrong. He's kind of reminiscing about what Paul said because of the difficulty of the day during the second part of the tribulation. They made 
a choice. They decided that they would follow God anywhere and not have to have a wife or family and then constantly be pulled because of everything that was happening in society. Is this 144,000 men? Uh-huh. Yes. It is men. Yeah, my, my understanding, yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Yes. And um, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I mean, that's pretty awesome. If you stop to think about that, they follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere. They're actually excited to do that. It doesn't matter what or where He goes. They will follow Him. I'd love to be able to say that about my life, that I will follow Christ wherever He leads me without a second's hesitation. I'd love to say that. But these, these dudes will. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, we will also be at that point, once we're dead, we will also be without fault before the throne of God. I remember Mark talking about this. David brought it up in class a couple of weeks ago, too. We're not there yet, obviously, are we? But during the millennium, I shouldn't even say that, when we die and God in Christ removes that sin nature from us, then we will be thoroughly without fault. Thoroughly. We won't be able to think, say, or do anything wrong. We won't. It'll be like, the sin nature gone, we will only have the capacity to be thoroughly righteous in our thinking, in our speaking, in our living. I can't imagine that. Maybe you can, but I, I really can't. That would be such a relief. Oh my gosh. Such a relief. Yeah, because don't you go through the day going, how many times have I sinned today? I didn't even know it. Yeah. Sometimes I do. I mean, we can't beat ourselves up over that, but I think that we need to be quick and say, Lord, we know when we sin most of the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, Lord, I sinned. Thank you for your forgiveness. Now, help me it's so easy to do. It is. It is. It is. It's our first nature. It's our first nature, not even our second nature. So, the first verse appears to me to be a millennial scene, but it could also just be simply um, heaven. But what I think is fascinating here is these 144,000 Jews of Revelation 7 are now with the Lamb on Mount Zion, which is absolutely interesting. They have the name of God on their forehead. That name protected them from death in chapter 7, 3, and 4, while they were in service to God. That name protected them. Just like the two witnesses, you remember? Mm -hmm. While they were busy with their ministry, nobody could touch them. Nobody. Nobody. They, I'm sure they had all kinds of threats, people, all kinds of stuff. But nobody could touch them. Until God said, okay, you're done. Your ministry is done. Now, I'm going to remove that protection so that God could take them up to where he was. Uh, this proves Satan's attempt to destroy all Jews fails, by the way. That's his one goal. That has been his major, major goal ever since he realized God was going to use Abraham to create a special nation. He knew more than we did. He kind of pieced things together and realized, wait a minute, in Genesis 3, God said somebody was going to give me a fatal blow. Is it going to happen through this nation? And he started focusing on that nation. And then eventually Jesus was born. We went through this in Revelation 12, where it's basically a brief synopsis and overview of the nation of Israel, the birth of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. And Satan tried to get him every which way he could, but failed. And so once he couldn't get a hold of Christ, and he knew that, then he turned his attention especially to the Jews, and he's still doing that today with the Jews, and also with the rest of God's people, which is us, Gentiles. But the big thing is Satan has lived under this delusion that if he could kill every last Jew, every last one, then they could not go into the millennium as a nation to fully inherit 
the blessings that God gave to Abraham originally in Genesis 12. So Satan has been working hard to destroy the Jews ever since. He did it through, I don't know, Stalin especially did it through Hitler. He did it through how many people? He's still doing it today. Still doing it today. we got Iran. We've got, you know, other nations in the Middle East. They're still trying to destroy the Jews. The United States is now officially against Israel, which is not a good thing for our country. But that's not me. God's not going to take that out on me. God is going to take it out on this nation. And I believe firmly, we'll get to this, that he will protect all of us who continue to trust him in spite of what happens. So, Satan's attempts to destroy all Jews failed miserably. And this proclamation will provide comfort to the tribulation believers. They're the ones, whoever they happen to be, if it's us, if it's somebody else, whoever it happens to be during the second portion, going into the second portion of the tribulation, they will know and understand that literally God has their back. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that persecution won't exist. It won't mean that some aren't martyred. It actually could mean that. But God, Romans 8, will never leave or forsake, and uh, He will always protect them by doing what's the greatest thing God can do for us, is making sure that our souls, our spirits are preserved so that when this body dies, however it dies, like Paul says, to be um, dead in Christ is to be, what's that? I'm sorry. Yeah, absent. Absent in the body. Absent in the body. body is yeah. to be present, present with Christ. Christ. That's the way it's going to be. That's how God fulfills that. But in the meantime, I also believe that for those who trust the Lord, they will see His miracles, His power, His preservation and protection in many ways throughout their lives. And I bet if we went around the room, which we don't have time to do, you'd all be able to share, especially recently, how God, His hand has been on you. His hand has blessed you. And, and He's answered your prayer. I mean, you know, I could, just in the last two weeks, I could tell you about a problem we had with one car and then a problem we had with another car, and I was at my wit's end because I don't know a mechanic, I'm not a mechanic, and God answered those prayers. And... and He'll continue to do that. I have no doubt. You don't have no doubt. I know He will. You know He will. So the second proclamation is in uh, 6 through 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach. This is awesome. So imagine this. You're on this earth, right? Minding your own business, worshiping the Antichrist or at least looking longingly about his power, his wealth, and he's a good-looking guy, too. He has such charisma. And all of a sudden, this powerful angel flies across the heavens so that we could see him. And what does he do? He's preaching the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every person. No one is not going to hear the gospel. And Jesus alluded to that in the Olivet Discourse when he says, and the gospel will be preached throughout this whole world, and then will come the end. So it is fascinating to me that the angels, this particular one, gets to spread and preach the gospel to the entire world so no one can say, I, I, didn't, I never heard it. What's the gospel? They'll know. Yeah. They'll hear it. So they'll be responsible. They will. And he's going to say with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. Remember, this is preparation for what's coming, the seven bowls. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. In other words, He made everything. Worship Him as Creator. So this is the final call. Can you believe that? Think about this. This is the final call for the entire world. You're a good boy, school. Yeah, I, hear I know, I hear some kind of noise. Yeah. Um, so the final call to the world to accept the gospel. Well, go and what is... You can go. You can go. Buster didn't go. No, yeah. Buster doesn't care. 
Sorry for all the interruptions. We have a new puppy. Come here. Just come up so, here. It's okay. And he's, he's being an alpha male right now. So the Antichrist declares himself to be God. So imagine what's going on in the earth at this time. Here's the Antichrist saying, I am God. Worship me. And most people will. In the meantime, an angel comes across the heavens within sight, and they hear this voice, the entire world. So that assumes that he's going to fly around the entire world like Superman and will declare the gospel to them. You know what's ironic about this? No, go ahead. Is that this cat who is declaring himself to be God right. will not be able to do anything about this angel flying around declaring. Yeah, right. Yeah. What's he supposed to do? He'll have no power against this. Yeah. None. I agree with you. I mean, he's point. just gonna have to accept the fact that he'll uh, put a spin on it. <laughs> he will, he'll spin. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the only thing he can do. But yeah, I agree with you. I I completely agree with you. He has no power for this. So in essence, at this point, humanity is given a choice. You choose this pretender, or you choose the creator. What's it going to be? And it's not going to be anymore. Well, I never knew. I know. No, there's going to be, you got to make a choice. Can you imagine humanity? They will have to make a choice. You know, today when you try to talk to someone about Christ, uh, especially in certain places like the Bible Belt here, I mean, it, it, people think, and Mark's alluded to this, Oh, oh, people, you know, I'm a Christian. Oh, really? What makes you Christian? Well, you know, we went to church once. I have a Bible in my house. Oh, you know, I've talked with people who are like, oh, my whole family, we have a deep faith in God. It's like, well, that's great. But then you look at their lives, and you hear the way they talk, and see some of the things they do, and you go, maybe you and I have a different understanding of this. But the reality here is this angel is going to just say it like it is. And people will not be able to kind of squeak out from underneath it. They're not going to be able to rationalize it away. They're not going to be able to give themselves excuses because the two choices will be totally obvious. Take this guy or take God the Creator. You can't have both. Which do you choose? And that's really what it all comes down to. So the third proclamation, uh, 14.8, and another angel followed I, this is so awesome. So you got an angel coming through the yeah. heavens, like a plane flying low. You know, fear God. That's the message. Then you have another one following right behind him saying, Babylon is fallen. Is fallen. Why does the, the angel say it twice? Emphasize it. Emphasize it. This is a sure thing. If somebody said, I guarantee it. I guarantee, you know what that means, Right? It's going to be a done deal. That's what the angel's saying. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of the fornication. Now, when it says great city, I tend to think that during the tribulation there will be a headquarters of the Antichrist and it'll be someplace in the Middle East, not far from the beautiful city Jerusalem. That's what I tend to think. But I also believe, and, and it could be referred to as Babylon. I know they've been working on trying to resurrect Babylon um, during Saddam Hussein's reign, and he even called himself the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and they got started on this, that, and the other thing, and then Saddam built a palace overlooking the ruins of Babylon. So they've been uncovering it, archaeologists. Pardon me? That Saudi prince oh, yeah. is wanting, wanting to build a city called Neom, which oh. in Arabic means something. I, I don't know what it means. Like first, first city or... Uh, I, I don't know what it the means. L-I-N-E, the line. Oh, I've never heard that. Is it in a linear... Oh, that one. No, no, no. That's for the serfs, isn't it? Where they're all going to be in this line prison. Everything they'll need will be inside yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is in its I want to go there. My Bible says um, in Revelation, <laughs> yes. allusions to Babylon are concealed references to historical Rome. The capital okay. of the Roman world, also the center for yeah. propagating many abominable acts. Yeah, that is one view. And then a lot of times people will tie that with the Roman Catholic Church, etc., etc., but it actually goes, in my view, in my view, it actually goes back to Nebuchadnezzar and the real Babylon, which actually goes back to the Tower of Babel, because it's the same kind of system. 
But whether or not this is a city or not really doesn't matter to me. What I believe is actual here is the, I guess, political economic system yeah. that will exist yeah. during the tribulation. So that's what's going to fall. Right. This system, economic system, the political system, it's going to be a miserable failure. And if you look at what they're trying to create, those brilliant geniuses from Davos, <laughs> they're trying to create a system that's really communism on steroids. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that never works out. It never works out, honestly. So I think that's what's going to happen here. And this system is going to fail completely. The economy, the system during the tribulation is going to be miserable. And basically, the angel is confirming that. It's over. It's done. It has no more ground to stand. Yeah. Well, whatever they're talking about here, and I believe it is a system because yeah, there are other references in the Bible where the word city is used for like a, uh, not not just the city, but the entire the geographical area. area. Uh, but um, he's referring, this angel is referring to the, the city or the system run by the Antichrist. Absolutely. And if you stop and think about it, that system has been in place in one form or another because Satan instituted it, really. And, and where where was it most notable with Babel? That's when it really started to take. Oh, well, I mean, now hold on a minute, because yes. because Babylon is a great prostitute. Yes. Okay, so the beast yes. that she's riding on right. is is this is the the ten kings or whatever you know the the beast. It says they hate. The prostitute, I know. and they turn on her. They start and they burn their own. her with fire. Yeah. So, they eat their own. so it's not it's not the same as the beast because the beast hates the prostitute. Stop. But the prostitute is what is facilitating their thing until they don't need her anymore, and then they right. turn on her. So, right. so the prostitute is different. Well, yes, and and yeah. some people see the prostitute as the religious system, which was needed. Until all of a sudden the Antichrist goes, I'm God, you don't need any other religion. That's when they can get rid of the prostitute. That's what some people say. If you look at this, I mean, this may be in line with what you're saying. says the great city has fallen because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Right. Whatever that means. So well, basically, it... it, it Maybe the the control. Well, I don't know. Well, if it is the but, but the nations are revolting against the the great city. Well, yeah, and and remember the system that undergirds it. If you look at the system right now, we can see where it's kind of going corrupt, or has been corrupt. And um, you know the people who are the ultra wealthy, they aren't satisfied, so they need to get more and more and more. Our government keeps printing money that has no value because they can. So that whole system will be destroyed because it's all based on what fornication in a sense, right? Some type of religious fornication. It's it's the the desire. It's the love of money and the love yeah. of wealth that makes these systems what they are. Capitalism is fine. I like capitalism. Mm -hmm. I love capitalism. I grew up in I think capitalism is great. But it can be stretched to the point where it's not really capitalism anymore. And that's what's been happening for years. So whatever this system is, this angel is flying overhead to announce that it's done. It's done. So whether it's the prostitute, whether it's the system, do you have something to say, Scooby? No? You're okay? We're on all her sofas. So, we're on all the sofas. Oh, yeah, there's no place. What is the place over there? Good point. The proclamation announces the fall of political Babylon. It could be the social aspect of Babylon. It could be the religious aspect of Babylon. It could be all of it. But whatever is Babylon that God considers to be, we can debate it until the cows come home, but what God considers Babylon to be, that's what's going to fall. And it won't be some mystical thing. It'll be an actual, real thing that affects people's lives. 
That's what's going to fall. That's what's going to be corrupt. And what the angel is really saying here is that the capital of the Antichrist, the system that has been built underneath him, and the Ten Kings you brought up is an interesting point. Um, I wish we had time to get into that tonight, but maybe next time. The worldwide capital of the Antichrist is due for total destruction. And this is fascinating because when, when the verse opens, when the chapter opens, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. This is so fascinating. Antichrist stands on, he's, he was the beast from the sand, right? Or the beast from the ocean which has sand underneath it. So it was a very, you know, movable surface. Nothing stable about the surface of either the water or the sand. That's where Antichrist comes from. Jesus is standing on Mount Zion, which is rock. Yeah. He is immovable. He is victorious. He is bringing all of this about, and no one, including and especially the Antichrist, is going to stop it. And that thought, that truth, should really, we should really drive that home, because that's truth worth living by. So the fourth proclamation, and I'll be finished in just a few minutes. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if this, this is the third angel. So the first one comes through and he does what? What does the first angel do? Preach the gospel. Preaches, Preaches the, gospel. the gospel. Better than anybody could ever preach it. You know, he just, short, sweet, to the point. This is truth, accept it or don't. But you need to do one or the other. And I hope, he implies, I hope you will worship the Creator who alone deserves worship. Okay, that's the first angel. The second angel comes through and does what? Babylon. Babylon is fallen. Is fallen. Count on it. It's happening. The third angel followed them saying, I mean, this is fascinating. Train of angels. Boom, boom, boom. Saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out, what? Full strength. strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be, and what he's describing right here? Lake of fire. Hell is tossed into the lake of fire. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, what? In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Those angels, the holy angels, the elect angels of God and the Lamb, will see the suffering and they will that is the justice that's justice we, we kind of shrink from that but God has his own way of doing things and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name that is a pretty heavy section right there God is not playing a game well, if you ask me, going back to me, that whole system is Babylon. What whole system? The 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 mark. Anybody that oh accepts, yeah, yeah. Anybody yeah. that it's the pinnacle. Them, oh yeah, was, I agree. Well, if you go back to the original Babylon, what did they get in trouble for? Oh, we were gonna we're gonna build this tower and get into heaven, send to heaven, and and we will be like God. Yeah, and right. God said, yeah, you know what? If I don't break this up there's nothing they won't be able to accomplish. Yeah, I agree with you. It's the whole system. And it's always trying to ascend to the highest point. And the highest point that will be on earth then will be worship of the Antichrist by accepting his mark. That will forever, forever connect people with the Antichrist. And in essence, like we are Christ, because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, those people will be the Antichrist because they will be sealed with his mark. Mm -hmm. So there's so many counterfeit, there's so much counterfeiting going on here. So many ways the Antichrist is trying to be like Jesus and the false prophet is trying to be like the Holy Spirit. So they do things that are very similar, but it is such a poor, poor imitation. I love uh, verse 12 where it says, this calls for endurance from the oh, saints keep God's commands. And where is that? That's verse 12. Yeah. Thank you. This calls for endurance. Yes, here is the patience of the saints, where this calls for endurance. 
You know? It's got to be hard. It is not going to be easy. But... Well, look I, at the alternative. Oh, yeah. There, yeah, what is the alternative? And I honestly believe... I could be wrong about this. But I honestly believe those who are living there, it could be us, it could be tenure, I don't know. But whoever is living at this point, honestly, I believe it is going to be totally freeing to those particular believers because they will have made that choice willingly and they will be, they will be given the grace and the strength right, the and the ability right. to endure. I honestly believe that. I honestly believe that. It's difficult for us because, difficult for me sometimes, because I tend as a human being, not in that situation, to go, oh, I would do whatever I could, but man, it sure doesn't sound pleasant. It isn't pleasant, but I really believe those who are at that point in Christ and willingly make that decision to endure and to put up with whatever God allows to come their way, I think they're going to experience tremendous strength, blessing that they never have experienced before. That's my way of thinking. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I'm not trying to no. say that. It's not going to be easy. Nothing that is worth it really is no. ever easy. No. Yeah. But you know, you look at the the apostles, Peter, who were thrown in jail and they were beaten, and they came out and they what? Praised and glorified God Praise because God. they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Him who literally gave everything on our behalf. So I think I think there is going to be a strong sense of that. Doesn't mean they're going to be impervious to pain, doesn't mean it just means that they will be able to endure. Because Christ has promised that. So but I think they'll, they'll get what they need when they need it. I'm sorry? It might mean that they'll be impervious to pain. If you look at the death of Stephen, it could be. Uh, yeah. who was the first martyr. Yeah. Now he was stoned well, if you look at the three guys in the fiery furnace. Yeah. yeah. And could be. Stephen saw heaven. I mean, he yeah. saw. He did. Yeah, he saw Christ standing. standing. Yeah. 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 And so. Uh, it could be, but I don't think people living then would, would count on that. Yeah. You know, I would hope. But who knows? I don't know. I think it's. But, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't mind dying. No, it doesn't matter. And the thing is, with, with people, when you're in that position, I think it's like, okay. That's what's come on my way. That's what's come my way. If that's what I suffer for Christ. Then God let me glorify you in the meantime. And He promises, you know, when they bring you before the courts, don't even worry about what you're going to say. Exactly. Don't even think about it. I will give you the word. So I really believe He will come through here and and give people the grace, the strength, and ability, whether or not they feel pain or not. So accepting the mark means accepting Antichrist as true God. That's why it is unalterable. That's why you can't go back. There will be many opportunities for people up to this point. Once they cross that line, that's a line crossed forever. And so forfeiture of any further opportunity to be saved. How tragic is that? I just read, by the way, David Crosby, the singer from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, died. He was a great singer and a good songwriter. I didn't like his politics at all. But what was interesting, just days before he died, he was said to have said, heaven is overrated. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, okay... If he's where he probably is, and I wonder if the people in hell can see that paradise uh, called heaven that's mm -hmm. overrelated, if that adds to their, you know, but you just sit there and you watch people say things and... They're so glib about it. They so are. They, they don't realize, I think no. he doesn't realize what he's saying. No, I don't think so either, because he's more, I guess, more interested in being cool, you know, I don't know. So, no one will take the mark out of ignorance, by the way. That's implied in Scripture. They're not going to take it because, oh, oh, uh, oh, that looks cool. Yeah, I'd like that tattoo. No, they're going to take it with the full awareness and full knowledge that to do so means they're literally selling their soul. They're giving themselves over to the Antichrist. The way we give ourselves over to Christ on a daily basis, sometimes moment by moment. We make that decision, and we're aware of that decision. Sometimes... We sin because we weren't able to make the decision fast enough. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, we're still on that road. Angels state what will happen to those who take the mark. I went over that. So here's the application, and I apologize. I'm going a little bit longer, but let me just get through this. Because I'd like to leave us with some real concrete 
application for us, for me, for all of us. God is God, and there's no other, period. When you see chapter 14 opening with the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion, that should tell you something. That should tell you that nothing, nothing, not one thing, gets in God's way or keeps His plans from happening. So, if God is able to control, in a sense, either through allowing or direct involvement, um, one of those two things, if He is able to have everything happen in this world, whether to us it looks good or bad, or evil or rotten or whatever, if He is able to allow all these things to happen and still be glorified and still have His will perfectly accomplished, then that is something that we should take to heart and really be able to constantly praise God for that alone. God is in control of everything, directly or allowing it. And He is so concerned about everything in our lives. There's nothing that He goes, I'm not going to bother with that. That's, come on, go ask your neighbor. You know, he yeah. is so concerned about everything in our life. Everything. The things that are him to him, they would seem like to us they'd be nothing to him. He's still concerned. Because we are his children. And he loves us. So you sit there and you think about your kids or your grandkids and what you would do for them and how happy you are to see them. We FaceTimed with uh, our two boys and the older one, three-year-old, who was so happy to see us. He had a shirt on, but no pants whatsoever. <laughs> and I said, hey, Jethro, what happened to your pants? And he just ignored me and he goes, watch what I can do. And he was just jumping through the doorway and so excited. And, you know, you just watch this and you go, wow, this is the way God relates and sees us, times 1,000, times a million. That's how much he loves us. So we can't comprehend that. So if God controls all things, including the rise of the final kingdom, which is coming, the defeat of Satan, which is coming, the, in real time I'm talking about, he was already defeated at the cross, but the actual physical defeat of him, where, where God takes him and the Antichrist and throws them into the lake of fire, he can be sovereign over every aspect of our lives, and he is. And it's just hard for us, me, to get through that sometimes. As the 144,000 and angels in Revelation worship, praise, and sing to God. You know, I was reading this and I'm going, man, do I spend enough time doing that? Do I spend enough time praising Him? Praising Him, praising Him, whether song, thought, word, deed. Do I? I don't. Period. What can we be thankful for that we find difficult in our lives right now? I mean, there's a lot, I'm sure. There are some things, at least, that we all have difficulty with. And our tendency is to shrink from them and get annoyed at them and get frustrated with them. But God has a different purpose in mind, and He wants us to praise us through those situations. You know, when I used to be, I was involved in the charismatic movement years ago, and there was one thing I would learn from the charismatic movement, even though I don't agree with a lot of their theology. One thing I learned was that you can't praise God enough. You simply cannot do it. You could spend 24 hours doing it today, and you might not do it. You can't do it enough. So the po their point was, your first reaction to a situation should be, thank you, God, that you gave this to me, that you brought this into my life. Thank you. So the difficulties that we see happening, you know, if you look at the newspaper and they're telling you that food shortages are coming and this is going to be happening, yeah, we can sit there and go, oh man, that scares me. Well, it would, anybody. But there's another action maybe after that thought that could displace that, which is, Lord God, I know you're not going to leave me. I know that you are not going to, you know, ignore me. I know that you're going to provide, and I praise you ahead of time for all that stuff. 
Because God doesn't want us to waste our time getting frustrated, getting scared, getting nervous. But that's our tendency as humans because of our sin nature. So what can we be thankful? Turn that frustration, turn the doubts immediately, whether you feel like it or not. That's what's called a sacrifice of praise in Scripture. Whether you feel like it or not, you just start praising God. And I'm starting to do that more. And I'm starting to develop that habit again. Because God is worthy to be praised. So how can we praise God above all things in spite of difficulties in this life, just as I said? Is there room... This is a tough one for me. Because the answer is always a huge resounding yes. And I know that I fall short of this. Is there room to give God more of ourselves? Absolutely. Without doubt. If I could just take myself out of my life and shove it over on the bookcase and ignore it. But I can't do that. So, there's always room. There's always room. Put another way, is God king over everything in our lives? Well, I like what Mark said. Some days are better than others. Some days we can do that easier. But no matter how hard we try, we're still going to fall. Why? Because we have a sin nature. Don't beat yourself up for that. Get up, dust yourself off, and move. Um... When we first got this boy, he was seven pounds, and we didn't know what he was or how big he'd get, but seven pounds was cute, cuddly, and fun. And then he started growing, and we started looking at him as like Clifford the big red dog, except the big <laughs> black dog. And one day I was out in the yard, and he was so happy to see me, he just came running right at me. And I thought he was going to jump up or something, so I kind of prepared myself. No, he just slammed into me and kept moving. <laughs> so I wish we'd have had that on video because yeah. I literally was not my legs out from underneath me because he was about 50 pounds at that point. He's 75 right now. So is God king over everything in our lives? When we make that mistake, get up, fall from falling and get up. Like the 104, this is, to me, this hit me when I did the, when I was looking at uh, this chapter. Am I like the 144,000? Am I like them? Will I follow Jesus wherever he leads? And you know, I know that in my heart the answer is yes. The difficulty is sometimes it's hard to know where he's leading. Yeah. But man, as soon as I know, I want to do it. And that should grow and grow and grow until it takes over our heart fully, our persona. We're ready to go and do what Jesus wants us to do. They had no problem. They had none. Do we know him as much as we would like? Well, obviously we don't. And we're going to spend eternity getting to know him. So we will never come to the end of our learning. Never. Obviously. But in this life, do I know him as much as I would like? No. And sometimes that frustrates me. It really does. Because sometimes I'm too human. And I don't like it. I'm just too human. Especially if I drive a car and somebody cuts me off. I mean, I'm too human that way. It bugs me. And I, I can imagine that Christ would absolutely not respond like that. He wouldn't say, what an idiot, you know, to those people under the breath so that they can't hear me or whatever. But he wouldn't respond like that. So I need to do what he does. Do we know him better today than yesterday? Okay, so we're never going to be satisfied in this life, but can I look back, maybe not yesterday, but can I look five years ago and go, yeah, I think there's been some growth. That's good. That's good. Because it's really easy, isn't it, to beat ourselves up. It's real easy. Finally, what are some ways we can further our relationship with God? I'll just throw it out there and then we'll quit. What are, what are some ideas for you? How do you further that relationship with God? Further it does work. Amen. You're talking about... Um praise yes and um, there have been times especially right after Mike died that's the only thing I could do every day I would I would look out the window and thank God for a blue sky or green grass or thank God that I had something to eat for breakfast or that my yeah. back didn't hurt. I mean every day I would just go through a whole litany of things that I was thankful for yeah even though my heart was destroyed yes you know and not really in it and sometimes. you have to and but you just have to and even I find myself doing that now yeah because that my heart will never heal from that no, no. 
Right. There's but that hole that it, may scar There's over. a hole there. And, but praising God is, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, it's, you just have to, yeah. when you do it yourself, and then all of a sudden you feel a sense of peace come over you. Exactly. Then you know that, exactly. that God has heard your praise. And He's yeah. rewarded it. He rewards it. Yes, yes. I agree. Because it is that sacrifice of mm-hmm. praise. The sacrifice you sure didn't praise, feel like it. There's you know. nothing like it. Yeah, and, and it's when you don't feel like it, and you do Especially it. Especially when you don't feel like <laughs> it. And he knows why you're doing yes. it. Yes. 